Welcome to Sofo Security Chat Chat number 221 for the 12th of November, 2015. My name's John Shire. I'll be your host today as Chester is off uh, speaking at a conference. Joining me today is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. So as we are recording, it's actually the 11th of November. We will be publishing this uh, the next day or so. As many of our listeners know, the 11th of November is uh, Remembrance Day in the Commonwealth countries or Veterans Day in the U.S. Lest we forget. Absolutely. So if you haven't already done so, please take a moment to, to think of that. And without further ado, let's move into the news for this week. And the first thing we're going to talk about is Ransom. And the first one of those two stories is that of CryptoWall. Uh, CryptoWall 4.0, as some are calling it, although I, be- I don't believe that it actually has uh, ticked over to that version uh, yet, but the media is referring to it that way. No, I don't really like that way of talking about it. It sort of makes it sound far too legitimate, doesn't it? It's just another variation on a theme of malware that scrambles your files and then says, give me money or else he won't see them again. Yeah, exactly. And in this particular iteration of this piece of ransomware, there are a couple of interesting things that Sophos Labs noticed when they were analyzing the malware. And one is is the basically the interstitial screens that pop up and and really give you information about the fact that you have been infected. Um, the first message that we see is congratulations. We shouldn't be laughing, really, but it's kind of amusing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and so one of the first things they say is, you know, welcome to this large community that is CryptoWall, and uh, it concludes with this message that basically says that the CryptoWall project is not malicious and it's not intended to harm a person and his or her information. Yes, it's for research purposes only. Yeah, right. What do they say? Together we make the internet a safer place. Uh, yeah, a, a better and safer place. As though by putting the message on you, lest we forget to do our backup, to keep the idea of remembrance as a theme, somehow they're doing you some kind of crazy backhanded favor. Exactly. And, and now staying on the topic of ransomware... Sophos Labs looked at another piece of ransomware this week that uh, this time dealt with Linux and Unix. There's even a free BSD version, John. <laughs> That's right. This is an interesting one, isn't it, Paul? Yes, it has the imaginative name of Linux slash ransom dash C. Basically, a crook who can get any kind of remote code execution hole on your server because maybe you haven't patched it All he needs to do is get this one file on there together with a public key and he can scramble any files that the process he's taken over is able to write to. And of course, if that's a web server, he doesn't need write access to the whole server in order to cause a lot of trouble. If your client authentication database should get scrambled or if even a few of your web pages get encrypted so they can no longer be served up correctly, that could be enough to stop you doing business online. Uh, At the same time, the crook can also feed this uh, ransomware toolkit, if you like, a ransom note file. (laughs) And the ransomware, I shouldn't laugh, will drop a copy in every directory where anything has been encrypted. So uh, the crook can actually show you any kind of demand notice that he wants. If you like, it's a command line encryption toolkit where the encryption's free, 
But if Sir Stroke Madam would like Sir Stroke Madam's files back, the decryption's going to cost you. They're looking at a different angle in terms of, of who they're trying to go after now. And, and not, not to say that this is, you know, the, the desktop, the Linux desktop users are immune from this. But it just shows that uh, you know that the crooks are are not just reserving their activities for the the workstation folks out there, and they're actually focusing uh, more seriously now on things like servers. So the advice follows really from the previous story, which is make sure your servers are patched, make sure you have reliable backups that are offsite, and finally, you know, protect those Linux servers as well with with an AV system and a reverse proxy or web application firewall. There are still a lot of Linux users out there who don't take kindly to being told that an antivirus can help. In a case like this, if there were a hole, if the crook got in with remote code execution, if he could drop this file, then A, you'd get a warning immediately, and B, when he tried to trigger it, it wouldn't run because the antivirus would block it. So it is an extra layer of defense that can provide you with real-time protection that, of course, If it's a server, it doesn't just protect you and your business. You could be protecting your customers' data and your customers' availability too. Well said, Paul. If our listeners are interested in hearing a little bit more about this discussion of malware on Linux, uh, you can actually look to uh, soundcloud.com slash software security for the Malware on Linux podcast that uh, Chester and you did some time ago. And if I can do one tiny commercial, John, Sophos Antivirus for Linux. There is a free version. It provides all the protection of the commercial version. It just doesn't have all the management tools to go with it. If you're comfortable managing it yourself, it's 100% free. There's no time limit and you can use it at work or at home on a server or on a workstation. So we're not trying to big this up so we can sell you something. Malware on Linux when penguins attack in that podcast Chester explores this significant problem that infected Linux servers are, if you like, the engine room these days for getting malware onto Windows computers. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit now that we're done with the uh, the ransom segment and talk about Comcast. Uh, there was some news this week about Comcast having um, email accounts of about 200,000 customers being released. Where this actually came from, allegedly, is a um, an ad on a dark web marketplace that was actually offering 590,000 Comcast subscriber email addresses and plain text passwords for $1,000 in Bitcoins. Now, the Comcast folks, uh, they acquired that list of email addresses and after analyzing it, discovered that only about 200,000 of them uh, were active. Now, if these are indeed active accounts, where did they come from? Is that a rhetorical question, John? Um, <laughs> the answer is maybe we shall never know. You know. It's easy to say, oh, well, Comcast just saying that, you know, the 200,000 passwords can't be wrong. There's no smoke without fire, all of that stuff. But you kind of imagine that if someone had breached a current Comcast database, then there would be more than 200,000 out of nearly 600,000 addresses that were current. So it does indeed sound as though this came from some other unknown place. If that's true, it's kind of confirming an unfortunate problem that we shouldn't still be having in 2015, namely that a significant percentage of people are still using 1Password on lots of different sites. I think, Paul, if we just keep saying it over and over and over again, eventually we'll get it right. Now, 
Sticking with the angle of the dark web, um, there was an announcement by GCHQ and the National Crime Agency, or the NCA in the UK, and apparently they formed a new unit that they're going to try to police the dark web. As a matter of fact, uh, Prime Minister David Cameron, uh, basically, this was one of his plans that he announced for the We Protect Children Online Global Summit back in December of 2014. Uh, Cameron said at the time that the UK law enforcement would be shining a light on the web's darkest corners. So if you were thinking of offending, there will be nowhere for you to hide. I wish he'd kind of toned that down a little bit, don't you, John? Let's face it, there are places on the web where you can hide. There are places where it's very difficult for law enforcement to find out what you're doing, but not impossible. And in fact, the, uh, the, the GCHQ director, Robert Hannigan, put it slightly differently saying words to the effect that think again if you reckon you can just use the internet with impunity for criminality. My understanding is that GCHQ are going to try and teach law enforcement not just how dark web criminal tools work, but also to equip them with the sort of understanding they need not merely to investigate these cases and see what's probably going on, but to bring them to court in the way that a lay magistrate or a lay jury can understand. Even if techies understand, that's not what a court wants. It doesn't want jargon. It wants something that's accessible to a jury, so a jury can make supposedly an informed decision. Regardless of what you think of GCHQ and some of the the NSA and, and some of the other intelligence agencies out there and what they're doing in terms of maybe reducing... Uh, the privacy of their citizens, I do think this is a step in the right direction. And as you say, because it's enabling law enforcement to uh, do things better and and do things in a way that maybe translates to uh, catching more bad guys and prosecuting them fairly and in a way that is easy to understand by everyone involved, that, that can only be a win for us. I agree. I think one problem we've got is that there are people who are looking at things like some of the regulatory changes that the legislators want to introduce in the UK. What is it? The the investigative powers bill. I think a lot of people may look at that and go, therefore, we should be against anything like this joint exercise to be able to investigate and prosecute dark web crimes better. I think you can be in favour of this dark web investigative team, even though you might be against some of the regulatory changes proposed in the UK that could undermine privacy and also reduce the strength and the utility of encryption for legitimate users and businesses. And I think they do have some precedents on their side. With the shuttering of Darkode and uh, Silk Road in the past, I think uh, are are good examples of, of how if we do have good police work and good cooperation amongst the different law enforcement agencies, we can make a difference in cybersecurity and cyberspace. We've been liking these crime and punishment segments here on the Software Security Chat Chat, so if we want to continue having those, it's, it's groups like this that uh, are going to help us keep that alive. John, can I ask you a more fun question to end off with? Sure can. If you were James Bond, what smartphone would you carry? <laughs> well, that's uh, a bit of an interesting question, isn't it? As many listeners may know, the, the latest Bond movie, Spectre, is uh, now out in theaters, at least in, in North America. And uh, we've seen Bond use Sony smartphones in the past, 
the Xperia Z or Z5 uh, is has been released as a Bond edition smartphone. And, uh, you know, that does beg the question, if you were an actual MI6 agent, uh, which phone would you use? And we actually put out a poll on Naked Security. And uh, can you give us maybe some preliminary results? Yes, we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to urge our own readers how they should vote. But in this case, I'm going to make an exception because currently in second place behind the Apple iPhone 6S is the good 1960s Mel Brooks Get Smart shoe phone. Folks, come online to Naked Security and vote. Let's get the shoe phone from the middle of the 1960s into first place. We can do it. Right. And, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty details, uh, you know, each platform does have its pros and cons when it comes to uh, security. But uh, I agree with you. Maybe, you know, maybe a, a 2015 version of the, sh- of the shoe phone has a Bluetooth uh, headset that goes along with it. But, you know, that's probably uh, rife with security vulnerabilities as well. So let's just stick with the old uh, rotary dial version of the shoe phone. So on that note, I will conclude the Sophos Security Chatlist chat. For all of your security news, please surf on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find them on iTunes at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. And until next time, stay secure.